Jesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. My man Walker Mel, my man Josh Fitty Marlowe, and we're going to delve into talking about the Charlotte Hornets Bud City. We have one of the absolute finest that reside in Bud's, Buzz City calling in right now. My man, Eric Collins, you know the calls. Listen, you know the screams, the inflections, everything that you love that makes you turn in to hear the Charlotte Hornets every night, man. I mean, he makes it a roller coaster. You said Bud City, and I thought you were talking about Lil Wayne being here 420. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not at all, not said, at all. I was about to say, it's still going to be that. If yeah, you wanted, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out then. But yeah, it still could qualify as Bud City if you wanted to call it that. Yeah, no doubt. We got Eric on the line fitting. All right, here we go. My man, Eric Collins, one of the best in the business, legendary. Can't give him a good enough intro. Eric, how's it going today, my man? little disappointed that I'm slipping in your eyes. Why am I one of the best in the business, man? You used to be the best in the business. That's a good man. question. What's going on here? That's you know what? Somewhere? You know what? I am slacking. This man is the best in the business. What is wrong with me, Eric? What is wrong <laughs> with me? <laughs> is it cold enough up there for you, or how's the weather in Milwaukee? Colder than a polar bear's toenails, man. All right. It's, uh, it's basketball weather. We're playing inside tonight, so I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> All right, so that gets us started with one of the the – the, the great sayings that you have. So I want to know for tonight's game, one of my favorite things about your broadcast are the just the, the, the great facts that you have that are so obscure, and it just shows how prepared you are. I told these guys just the process when we're in meetings, the stuff that you come in and hit us with. You had a stat in the la- uh, one of the last couple of games about left-handed scorers in NBA history, and it was just <laughs> insane. So give us – a great one tonight, or maybe your best for tonight's game that you're going to unveil. All right, I'll, I'll give you a sneak preview because I just spent 20 minutes going down this rabbit hole. I just pitched it to my producer, so we'll see whether I can take the bait or not. But this is what I want to do. We always do something called like a player comparison at the end of the game. It's like, you know, which point guard has the most assists and all that kind of stuff. So I said, hey, if we want to think outside the box, Milwaukee's got a guy in Pat Gonaton who used to play professional baseball as a pitcher. He drafted in the fourth round by the Baltimore Orioles. Spent one season playing minor league baseball. I was like, my partner, Dell Curry, got drafted by the Orioles as two. He also was uh, spent a little bit of time. He played briefly for the Gastonia Rangers back in the day. I think that would be a great story. So I went down this rabbit hole, and I, I found this website, and I have both of their numbers. Dell Curry's pitching numbers when he pitched his one game for the Gastonia Rangers and Pat Connaughton's numbers when he pitched six minor league games for the Aberdeen Ironbirds back in uh, 2014. So that's my factoid of the game. I want to work it in there somewhere that we have a connection between Del Curry, six foot five right-handed throwing pitcher, and Pat Connaughton, a six foot five right-handed throwing pitcher, both involved in today's game here in negative five degree Milwaukee. Mm, that is amazing. I did not know Del played baseball like that, and then he played for Gastonia. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, we got to get to it on the air, but I think the story was he got drafted twice just because he looks the part. You know, six five, strong, right-handed, played a little baseball. But George Shin, who was the previous owner of the, the Hornets back in the 90s, he also owned the Gastonia Rangers. And so it was kind of like a cross-promotional thing, and he was hoping to get people at the ballpark. And he knew that Dell used to be a baseball prospect. So mm. he said, hey, would you mind pitching a game? So he signed him to a one-day contract and had him pitch. And I think Muggsy actually played second base. So there's more to the story, but we'll get on to this tonight. All right, Eric. So when people watch the Hornets this year, especially with the rec- the record, the way the season's been going, a lot of us are hoping for 
Victor Wembenyama. Is this a guy that you would love to see in a Charlotte uniform, which I feel like I know the answer to that. But the biggest question is, would he make you lose your voice on a nightly basis with some of the things that he could do? Would you even be able to be prepared to make some of the calls for some of the things he could do? You know, I I, got to see it to believe it. You know, I don't watch a ton of kind of like uh, French Pro League tapes. So I don't really know exactly what this guy's all about. But his his type kind of scares me a little bit. You know, seven foot five and skinny. I know he can handle it. He's got crazy athletic ability and unbelievable hand-eye coordination. But I got to see it first, man. You know, I'm a big believer that there's a certain body that works in the NBA. And uh, obviously these really smart people and all these scouts are big fans, but if the Hornets, whoever they get, man, I know there's this guy, Amen Thomas. Thompson is supposed to be great, and Scoot Henderson is supposed to be a lot of fun to watch. So I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket because I, I, seven foot four scares me sometimes. I've seen a lot of the, the Ralph Samson's of the world and the, the Sean Bradleys of the world, and even Kristaps Porzingis, man. It's hard to hold up when you're that big. So I'll, I'll be happy with whoever the Hornets get. If it's a high pick, and someone feels strongly about it, you know, I'll, I'll learn to live with it. Oh, well, Eric, I mean, plus, with you being the play-by-play announcer, you want Scoot Henderson or Amen Thomas because you want the nicknames. You want the E's there. <laughs> like, I know the scouting report from a play-by-play announcer, and Wimby you can work with, but those guys are pure gold coming here in Charlotte. Well, there's one person who doesn't want Scoot Henderson coming to town, and it's uh, the sideline reporter that I work with, Ashley Shamity. She went to the exact same high school in Atlanta that he went to. And right now, I think she enjoys being kind of the coolest person living in Charlotte uh, from that high school. She would quickly be uh, overtaken if Scoot Henderson showed up in town. Okay, we'll see. The fans, they like Ashley Shamity on the sideline. They like Eric Collins calling the games as well for Bally here. Charlotte Hornets is what we're discussing. They have a game tonight against Milwaukee, a couple more road games after that. And Eric, I wanted to get to one of the interviews that we had with you on Locked On Hornets. And I, I remember something that stuck with me that you talked about was your understanding of not only everything going on with both teams, but you do have this attitude of being the most prepared compared to everybody else in that building. Anytime that you call a game. And that's something that really stuck with me just because of your emphasis put in that. When did that start to develop for you as you were calling games? And as that's kind of gone on throughout your career, just having the information, everything that you have within that brain being more prepared than anybody else in the building. Uh, that's a great question. I, I got really super lucky. You know, my first job in the business, I was the number two broadcaster in 1996 for the Rochester Red Wings, the minor league baseball team. And the guy who was the number one was a guy named Glenn Geffner, who for years has done the Miami Marlins on radio now. But Glenn just prepared in a certain way. It blew me away. And so every day I go to the ballpark, and literally I, do no, I knew nothing about broadcasting or play-by-play. And I would watch how he would get ready. And he would just pour over notes he would go to the library i'll never forget this one time this is pre-internet 1996 and we're getting ready to take on the pawtucket red sox the boston red sox affiliate and they had a player by the name of archimedes pozo and glenn was like well there's just no way i can do a broadcast and not talk about the great mathematician and the philosopher and the astronomer archimedes so he went to the library and spent two hours of his life figuring out who archimedes was so he could drop all this mathematical knowledge and all of this scientific knowledge about Archimedes from way back in the day. So the series is getting ready to start. They're taking batting practice, and Archimedes Pozo is taking ground balls at second base, wasn't looking, got hit in the side of the head, never played that entire three-game series. <laughs> so my buddy Glenn had spent two hours of his life just coming up with every factoid he could just to make sure that everyone understood something about this guy's name, and it all went in the garbage. But it still worked. 
because he showed me, hey, this is what you need to do. This is the level you need to get to. Anything that could possibly come up in a game, you've got to be ready to talk about it and be an expert on it. So I've taken that lead. He showed me a great example, and I, just, I believe it, and I love it. My favorite thing is to, to do research, to go down rabbit holes, and to come up with stuff that I didn't know before. So I like passing that along, and that's just kind of been – who I've been ever since I got into business. No, it's awesome stuff. And I do have a question too. Unfortunately, this season has not gone the way that Hornets fans wanted it to. And a lot of that is because of injuries, because you don't have Miles Bridges this year, because LaMelo Ball has been injured three separate times. And then when you get him back, Dennis Smith Jr.'s out. We get the whole story. My question to you, Eric, is when do you start to unload the fun trivia, the facts, the blowout material? How often do you get to the end of the game, too? This is another one, like a bonus question. How often do you get to the end of the game and you still have just a ton of info left over that you didn't share with the audience? Just empty the bag, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I haven't been shy about it. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So I grew up with you know sports that were not elite. And to me, any game that was on television was gold because we didn't have all eight games for the Cleveland Cavaliers televised. We didn't have all 162 for the Indians televised. So we'd only get 15 a year, you know, and it was just destination viewing. I got the TV guide and leap through it and circle things and make sure I was in front of the television because just getting a chance to see a game meant something to me. And I didn't care if the Indians were 12 games below 500. I didn't care if it was, you know, snowing sideways. I didn't care if it was August and there was nothing else going on in the standings. It was an event. You know, every single game is an event in itself. And so I started every single game the same way. You know, I'm looking for something fun and on a win and something to smile about and something to find joy in. And eventually things start to unravel. You know, I start to figure it out in the third quarter, the fourth quarter. Then you go a little bit deeper and you start peeling back the onion a little bit. But at the beginning of every single game, I think that tonight's game is going to be the most important game of the night, of the year. And I think the game that we're going to play in two days' time in Chicago, when that get to that game, is going to be the most important game. Because who knows, you know, if you're only watching one game, if you've got some job when you're in some coal mine every single day, but you've got one night to watch a Hornets game, and this is the night you're going to watch, hey, we're going to celebrate it, man. I'm going to bring something to the table for you, you know, because I don't know if you're going to come back. You know, I want to give you my best. That's kind of my thought process at all times, is I want to give the best broadcast every single night whenever I can. And Eric, playing off of that, a lot of people don't know, like last year when I was doing Hornets, on the nights you guys might be gone or the nights you were doing college basketball games, I would be cutting the highlights for those games. And I don't know how many people just know that you do that as well. What is your process when you have Hornets games in a week that you might have uh, ACC football or ACC basketball, but you're still so well prepared for everything that you do in a given week? How hectic is that? Well, the internet's a crazy thing, man. It's all there if you know where to look. So it's not as hard as it used to be. You know, back in the day, you'd have to kind of wait for people to come out with their game notes, and you'd have to just have reams and reams of magazines just kind of sitting in your closet you'd have to refer to. So things have gotten a lot easier. Uh, and I've got a process. You know, I kind of understand what makes me, what helps me work, and I kind of, I'm able to kind of compartmentalize, and what's important I'm able to kind of put in front of me, and what's not important I'm able to kind of just put to the back. So it's not that hard. It's, like I said, it's a labor of love. It's truly what I love to do is researching athletes and talk, telling their stories. So out of all the games that you've done, I know this is crazy, but do you have a most memorable call or a favorite call or two or three of them that you can think of off the top of your head where you just really love them? <laughs> well, I'm a baseball guy kind of growing up, and I did uh, I did the first six-person no hitter in the history of the major leagues. I was working for the Dodgers back in the day, and we were up in Seattle. 
and Kevin Millwood was the starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. He threw five no-hit innings, and then he came up for the sixth, and when he threw a warm-up pitch, he pulled his groin, so he had to leave. And the next thing you know, there's this parade of pitchers going in. That was kind of cool for a baseball guy who would, you know, every single baseball game I go to, if it's a night's game, whatever, I'm rooting for a no-hitter. <laughs> At the first inning, I'm like, come on, I don't want history to happen. I'm rooting either for a no-hitter or for someone to hit four home runs in a game. I'd like something special. So that's the most uh, distinctive baseball game that I can remember. My most significant call that I like, just because it's recent, I did a college football game this past year, and no one probably ever saw it. But it was Kansas against, I don't even remember who it was, but they had this kid named Daniel Hyshaw, and he had this catch and run, and it lasted about 20 seconds, it seemed like, because he was spinning and bouncing, and I was screaming and going up and down. Uh, that's one of my favorite calls of recent vintage, Daniel Hyshaw's touchdown run for Kansas. So for those of you who have the, uh, the mind and the time, I'm sure they exist on one of the best things that I think I've been associated with. If, if I'm not mistaken, that was a Kansas-Duke game because I was doing highlights for that game. I, I think that's what ah, it was. That yeah. sounds right. <laughs> All right, so folks. One last one is the, the Zach Levine shot. When Zach Levine hit oh. a shot against us a couple of years ago. Don't remind us of that, Eric. Touchdown. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that one's tough. Yeah, that's man. Man, all of the calls are great. Like I said, my mom and Bryce, they love it. They're always cracking up. I always text Eric during the games and tell him how much my mom and Bryce love his calls. I love his calls. Everybody loves the call, folks. It's the great Eric Collins, the best, the biggest in the business. Was that good enough, E? <laughs> what? Hey, just a, what a good guy you are, Wes. Last year, the entire year, I was calling you Wild Wild West and giving a reference to Houdini the old rap band back in the 80s. And it wasn't until like the fifth month that I'd worked with you, you said, you know what, Eric, that song is actually about Cool Moji. So I appreciate you for not throwing me at the front, man. You're, you're a gentleman. No doubt, man. Appreciate it. E, catch them tonight. Bucks and Hornets on Bally's Sports South, man. Eric, appreciate you so much, man. Hey, anytime. Love working with you guys. Thanks. That's Eric Collins from the Charlotte Hornets. Like I said, you can catch it tonight, Milwaukee. Hornets tonight, 8 o'clock. It'll be some great calls when you got Giannis out there on the court. And LaMelo, it's no telling uh, what you may hear from him out there on the call. Hornets have success against Milwaukee, too. Just saw it earlier this year. Probably the most inexplicable win that they've had this season where they beat them by 40. I don't care how many injuries that Milwaukee had. The Charlotte Hornets getting a victory like that where they won by something 30, something plus like that. It was a great win, and we've seen this before. LaMelo has success against Milwaukee. So we'll see, man. We'll see if that Queen City Magic, as you might call it, Wes, can show up once again. And they've won four of their last six, so they're hot for what the Hornets have experienced this year. Yeah, we'll see, man. It should be a good one. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Frank Reich press conference, staffing rumors, confirmations, et cetera, et cetera. It's the Wes and Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thanks to Eric Collins for joining us, and thanks to you guys for listening in to 92.7 FM. You can text us via the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. I did want to get to a lot of the text messages that we got because we started off the show today by airing the Frank Reich press conference. Then in the second segment, we got to the actual questions. First segment was introductory statement. Second segment was really him fielding the questions from media in that introductory presser. But what was funny at the beginning of all of this, it was the highlight reel going on, a screen in the background when Frank Reich, David Tepper at first, 
heading to the podium. <laughs> and there were a lot of people that thought it was quite funny that David Tepper walked up to the podium and he had his own intro music. Jack wrote in, does Tepper seriously have walk-up music? Big Cat Dan, three crying, laughing face emojis. Tepper has entrance music. Uh, then you had 704. Sounds like they're about to play Madden out there. 980, this introduction music is as bad as next season will be. Somebody said that it sounds like a Game of Thrones theme song. KC Steve said, wow, what a ringing endorsement from Tepper. Is that the Game of Thrones theme song? Two people separate of one another said it sounds like Game of Thrones. I can only go to, you, do you watch Game of Thrones? What no, is, I do not. Fitty, you go to it. Did it sound like that to you at all? Like, what, no. whatever. You know, I don't even know what the episode is. What was the new one? Dragon something that came out? It was out? House of the Dragon. You Get it. it right. That was the greatest <laughs> summertime television show in the history of summertime television. That answer is no. Okay. Because so, it wasn't epic enough. When you hear the Game of Thrones music, mm -hmm. I was watching it last night with my cousin. Uh, I'm going to walk down the aisle when I get when I'm going to get married to that music. Okay. Because that's how you know something epic is about to happen. And when I get married, mm -hmm. it's going to be yet because it's actually happening. Okay. And well, that's true too. And then it only is going to be, be able to caught the moment in the game of uh, Thrones theme music that is coming about. And that's exactly what some people thought was happening with David Tepper <laughs> and Frank Reich walking up to the podium. So I, I'm trying to organize all of the comments coming from Scott Fitterer, who also spoke to media after Frank Reich's presser. Same thing with David Tepper. He went up there. People were texting in and joking that that was probably the quickest he's ever been in and out of the podium area where he's like, hey, here's Frank Reich. Good. All right. Here you here you go, coach. I'm not going to say anything else so people can criticize what I say, but he would have some comments after the Frank Reich presser. Just kind of going over it again. I know it's not like you were really all that impressed with what he was going to say. Here's my question about Frank Reich. And there are a couple people also writing in, you know, it's coach speak. It's not like it's all that impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, did somebody, somebody said, did he just channel his inner Matt rule? Some people did like, uh, what Frank Reich was about. Here's my thing about everything that he had to say. Any coach you bring in is going to give you coach beat galore. That's just how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what's going to happen is we have to figure out if he's the right guy on the field and that's not groundbreaking analysis. I mean, we could have the show be very quick today. We're like, all right, well, we'll just see what happens on the field. That's Wesson Walker. Stay tuned for Kyle Bailey. Like that's, I understand that we have to try to project how this coach is going to do. My thing is when he talks about the actual football stuff, rather than the, can we get this team to run through a brick wall stuff that matters? Like motivating your team matters a lot. It's just that it's not going to work for us because we're not going out there to suit up. Who cares? I totally get what people are saying. My whole thing is, is he saying anything smart when it comes to offensive philosophy? Are there any, is there anything that you can take away from that and say, okay, I feel good about Frank Reich talking about the offense because he's an offensive minded head coach. So I want to hear what he's going to say about that. And overall, I liked it. It doesn't mean I think he's some Andy Reid type. Doesn't think, it doesn't mean I, I think he's going to create a Bill Walsh type of offense. I don't think he's going to the Hall of Fame based off of what he said. But can you give me something that I can have hope for? And I think the answer is yes here. He likes running the football. He puts importance on that. He also talks about and emphasized how important the vertical passing game is. It's something we've been missing here in Carolina. Now, Steve Wilkes also had that offensive philosophy. You want to come at me and say, hey, Steve Wilkes had this in his bag too, except he's just not the offensive guy. I'm with you. It's why I wanted Steve Wilkes to be the head coach. It's why I thought he should have gotten the job after going 6-6. Six and six. But if you're asking me how I feel about Frank Reich in a vacuum, 
independent of all these other factors, what he had to say today, I like what I heard for the most part, dissecting the important stuff in what he said. Yeah, and I mean, it's just going to be, again, like you said, everybody's going to think we'll just wait and see. And as I said, I think questions will be answered through free agency, through the draft, as far as what philosophy he's going to take. And as far as this NFL draft, what quarterback uh, will they covet? Who will they take? Will there be disagreements about uh, who they want? Because you look at all the top guys in this class, and they're all, as he said, mobile guys. Even Will Levis, he does play from the pocket a lot, but he can also get out there and run around a little bit as well. So that's the type of quarterback he's going to have if they do indeed draft a quarterback at number nine. And so you should feel good about all of the things that he wants to incorporate based off what you've seen from him as well. With Carson Wentz and the Eagles, he was doing RPOs. He was doing uh, a lot of those things and trying to attack the defense at different levels. And even with Nick Foles, he did some of that to a degree to keep keep them honest. And then with the Colts as well, with Andrew Luck and some of the things that he did there. So it's just going to be a matter of – and pretty much with any head coach, can he find the right quarterback that is going to carry out said philosophy? And so if he's able to, everything that he said, like I said, it sounds hot. And we'll see uh, once they get out there. But I think, as you said, it's to be expected. He didn't say anything I did not expect him to say. It's just following through. So here's what he had to say at the beginning of it. He said it's a passing league. This was him being asked about his offensive scheme. He said it's a passing league, but you have to be effective running the football to win a championship. So kind of putting it in a nice bite-sized soundbite from a coach. And it seems like Frank Reich, Wes, has really worked at the phrases of being a head coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I wonder if that's what you have to do in order to be a head coach. Do you got to go to the lab and just say, okay, hey, guys, I need about 10 cliches. And then you know, we'll, we'll work on some other cliches, but I, I need to have something where it sounds like I have my own personal twist and then I'm going to bring it to the team. What do you guys think? Oh yeah, this is great. You know, it's a passing league, but you got to win. Uh, you got to run to win championships. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Assistant coach. We will bring that to the roster. If it makes them buy in, then that's totally fine. I do like his thought process <clears throat> on creating conflict in the defender's mind getting the ball vertical downfield. He does love analytics. He's talked about that quite a bit. It's something that I like. I like information. It doesn't mean that you have to subscribe to that every single play, Mm -hmm. but I like it being a part of the system. And David Tepper has embraced analytics, a part of the ownership group here in Carolina as well. He wants to get chunk plays. He values play action. That's something that I would want to hear from my offensive coordinator slash head coach calling plays. But he did say this, that you need a QB in order to do that. And so he talked about having a mobile QB because that's the way that the league is heading. So some interesting things there. Um, Do you ultimately think Frank Reich being the head coach kind of forces them or heavily leans the way of them drafting a QB in the first round? Or do you think that regardless of it being Steve Wilkes, Frank Reich, whoever it was going to be, they were always going to look first and foremost at the passer? I think regardless of the coach, it was going to be that way. But I think that's an added benefit with his background with quarterbacks and what he's done. And we've talked about it. A lot. We've talked about what he did with Wentz. We talked about what he did with Foles. We talked about what he did with Andrew Luck and and then the the litany of quarterbacks he had after that, most recently uh, Matt Ryan. So we've talked about all of that, and I think there's no doubt about it. uh, A quarterback is going to be at the top of the Panthers' uh, offseason priority list, regardless if they go and get 
a veteran or if they decide to stay in the draft and get that. And I think that's the way they're going to go because they want the future of the franchise in the building. I believe this offseason, this is the draft to do it. You can't bank on next season trying to see, you know, if you'll be indeed, uh, as my man with the bill said, suck bad enough to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. Um, He was also asked why it went wrong in Indianapolis. And it's a fair question. It's one that was necessary because this dude did end up getting fired. David Tepper went with a head coach that got fired from his previous job and then gave him another one halfway after the season was done, right? Like where the season's over and he, there was like what, eight games left to go, something like that. And Frank Reich ends up finding a second chance here in Carolina coming on back home. And he said it went wrong because even if they established the run at the beginning, it disappeared. And then once it disappeared, they didn't have a vertical passing game. So they weren't able to challenge defenses downfield. And if you listen to Jake Query, who joined us just last week to talk about this very hire, because we got the news on Thursday, he said something similar about Frank Reich in the sense that Reich will be creative if he has the tools to do so. But if he doesn't, then he's going to try to make as simple a game plan as possible and hope that the team can execute it. Indianapolis couldn't do it. The offensive line wasn't very good as they suffered some injuries. Matt Ryan became a shell of himself. And even if Matt Ryan was also undergoing a bad offensive line situation. I mean, that dude is one of the least mobile passers in all of the NFL. I mean, that guy, he can't move a lick. And so you're done. If you have any pressure on Matt Ryan whatsoever, especially if the only receiver that you can depend on really is Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, somebody that does have that separation ability always hurt. So coming out of Ohio state, Paris Campbell actually showed some good things. People are always waiting for him to break out, but he gets hurt and eventually he can't stay on the field. And so you're dealing with Michael Pittman and that's a big, strong receiver. You're just kind of throwing 50, 50 balls to him, but he's not burning anybody down the field. You're throwing it up at the top and hoping he attacks the ball at its highest point. So I I believe that Frank Reich is a guy that can ultimately win. If you give him even decent pieces on offense And Carolina has that, and I hope that they continue to add to that personnel group, which, by the way, he also says will be collaborative, but Scott Fitterer does have control over the 53-man, and that is the quote from Frank Reich. And so if you wanted to give us some thoughts on Frank Reich being the guy that chooses who's active and who's not, and Scott Fitterer, who actually controls the 53-man, what did you you think about his um, sayings there? Yeah, I thought that was interesting because I find it hard for a coach as big a control freaks as they are. You might not want all the control, but you're going to want some control, and especially when it comes to drafts and acquiring players for the team that you're going to be coaching because at the end of the day, it's your job on the line. The GM's job is on the line as well, but we're going to look at the head coach first, and I'm sure if he feels like he's bringing in a guy that's not going to be able to do some of the things that he needs from whatever position that may be, there will be some pushback or there will be some some kind suggestions, so to speak, to where Frank will say, hey, you know, I'm not sure about that. Can we talk about this? You know, I, I don't know how he'll approach him or if that's indeed what he'll say, but that's along the lines of what he'll say. But uh, I did read, you know, prior to them making a head coaching hire, that they said that Fitterer was making it very easy for them to be able to have the pool of candidates that they had because he is very well liked. And a lot of people do feel like that they can work with him. So I don't foresee uh, them having huge issues just based off what you read and what you hear about Fitterer. 
Jay from Mount Holly wrote in, am I wrong in saying the Eagles are running Reich's system? The difference why it's successful with the Eagles is because they have the offensive line. They have a running quarterback and they have very good wide receivers. You go to the Eagles and that's exactly what Frank Reich actually went to as an example when talking about his offensive system. And he even pointed out it's because they have a lot of the same guys up there in Philadelphia. You are talking about Sirianni as the head coach coming from the Frank Reich tree. Shane Steichen, Brian Johnson, and Kevin Petula are two names very much to watch out for as far as who could be the offensive coordinator here under Frank Reich in Carolina. And then we'll decide who calls plays from there, whether it's one of those players, whether it's one of those coaching members of Philadelphia or whether it's Frank Reich himself, actually. But I thought that was kind of interesting, too. He's going to have to wait until the Super Bowl is done with. That means you're going to have to wait basically two weeks from now before you're able to get one of those guys. And who knows, after they're done partying, then you can have a conversation about whether they want to leave a Super Bowl appearance to come here in Carolina and build something from there. But I did think that carried some weight, him mentioning Philadelphia as an example. I thought it did as well. I definitely could not call an RPO offensive Frank Reich system. I mean, Lord knows everybody in college, everybody in high school does it. And I mean, the system that the Eagles are running uh, is very similar to what the 49ers were doing with Colin Kaepernick when he was the quarterback. So it's not much difference when you talk about the design quarterback runs and all the RPO and stuff like that. So really Reich just adapted to what he had because that's what Carson Wentz was doing at North Dakota State. Uh, these guys are bringing in these quarterbacks now and, and instead of them trying to force a, uh, a square peg into a round hole, they are adapting to what these guys did well in college that made them successful. So I would expect that C.J. Stroud or whoever it is that they go out and get, they're going to adapt a lot of what they did at their prior universities to this offense so that they can come in uh, and be successful. So I don't know that I would give uh, Frank Reich that much credit as far as uh, the type of system that they ran up there. Well, and I don't know if, if anybody's saying Frank Reich created. RPO no, no, no. I'm not, and Reich. I'm not saying that. But when you said the, the Frank Reich system, as far as the offense that they run up there, I'm like, well, that's the offense a lot of people run. Well, th- yes, yes. It's also one that Frank Reich was doing. And then Sirianni brings that to Philadelphia yeah. because he's the guy under Indianapolis. And so now do you get a mobile QB? which is more Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. It does not mean that Stroud is a statue behind the pocket. That's not what it means because we've seen him run for the 40-yard touchdown. But, man, that guy wants to throw above all else, and Bryce Young does too. But we've seen Bryce Young use his feet a lot more than we have with C.J. Stroud. Will Levis has the ability. Hendon Hooker has that ability, but also more of a pocket QB. And Anthony Richardson is the definition of a Yeah, who the hell knows what Anthony Richardson is, right? Like, that guy is going to be a pure project and, and we'll you see. definitely won't want to be too rpo based with bryce young now that's where the size comes into play mm-hmm. i'm jitting around out there at 195 200 you don't want that well and, and another thing <laughs> with philadelphia being so successful look you're, you're breaking it down you are wes as as something that okay it's not like anybody's reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. okay rpos are run all across the league mm-hmm. but i also like it because we don't have to make football too hard. Mm-hmm. What, what, Philadelphia, what Philadelphia does a great job of, and I think it's kind of echoed in what Frank Reich is talking about. What Philadelphia does a good job of is Eagles know they have an awesome offensive line. Okay, They got some freaking dudes up there. They have a really strong QB who's awesome at running the football. So you know what? We're just going to run it a million times. Okay, you want to look at the yards per carry against San Francisco? It's not that great. Okay, but they had 10-yard runs. 
They had multiple. If you look at their box score, they had like four guys that had double-digit yards rushing, or excuse me, double-digit runs that mm-hmm. were long that were big first downs, mm-hmm. setting them up for success. And it's because if there is a weakness with San Francisco's defense, and there's not a lot, but if there is a weakness, their linebackers are very good in coverage because they're smaller and athletic. And if you're talking about the interior defensive line, Javon Kinlaw, you, you yourself called a bust, and they're not going to be a match for that interior offensive line for Philadelphia, especially with Jason Kelsey. And so you attack it, and they're doing a good job. And so for me, I like Sirianni sticking with something simple in that game plan. And if Frank Reich can do something like that here with Carolina, and then you have James Campen, by the way, who's retained as the offensive line coach. Everybody loves him. Mm-hmm. You also retain Chris Tabor, just a bit of news there. James Campen, Chris Tabor, both guys are retained with this staff. I really like that. All right, now, Wes, you can tell the people why you gave me a stank face when I was talking about yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what where you were getting at with the linebackers. What were you trying to say? You said they're good in coverage, but what? They're, they're good in the run game, too, but they're not nearly as big and physical as some other run-stopping linebackers. Like, Fred Warner is keeping up with C.D. Lamb because he's not this excellent run-stuffer. Like, there's, as I was, doesn't mean that they're... Whoa, 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 you just said Fred Warner's not an excellent run-stuffer? He's better in coverage. And then Ooh. when you're talking. <laughs> Bro, the 49ers hadn't given up a 100-yard rush in. I forget how many But they also didn't was. face mobile QBs, and that's my point. It's that Philadelphia's interior offensive line with Jason Kelsey mm-hmm. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about Jalen Hurts being a good rusher of the football. And right. so you use him when you've seen mobile QBs give San Francisco a problem. My, my point being, for the most part, is that Frank Reich can keep things simple as well while also adding different wrinkles as far as the vertical passing game goes. And yeah. I'm just hoping that can happen here in Carolina. I didn't mean to frustrate you as far as the 49ers. Well, no, I was just go. saying, I mean, 3-4 carry and the 49er linebackers, bang. So I, that's why They're I didn't awesome. really Fred know Warner is the best. You, uh, how, about, how about this? How about this? Fred <laughs> Warner is the best linebacker in the game. And, no, and, and, and I'm, I'm not, not saying that because you that. said it about my team. I'm just saying about that team, Pete. Even if I'm an outsider looking at that team, like I know what that front seven represents as far as running and pass when you look at they were the hardest team to run on in the league when you talk about i think it was dvoa or whatever that that stat is (laughs) uh but yeah no they so that's the only reason i was just looking at you like that because those linebackers are no joke they are not i did not mean to disrespect your linebackers that way (laughs) all right let's go to the second fitty flash of the day what you got fitty all right guys well dave tepper may have made a very quick exit from the podium but after frank reich's uh press conference got done he did take some time to field questions from the local media that was assembled there for reich's introductory press conference and he talked about the role that diversity played in the hiring process of frank reich after they chose him over the already in place steve wilkes I think that you should look first at our executive team and inside the building and look at who we have in different positions inside our building. Our president is a woman. We have uh, uh, probably the most most diverse executive team in the NFL right now. We have two African Americans. Um, We are probably a minority of white men on our executive team right now. That's where it starts. That's America. Okay, that's the process. And that's the process I'm talking about here. You don't want an old boys network. You don't want, I don't care, the old boys network works all kinds of different ways. Okay, unfortunately, it is a, in this case, it's a detriment because most of the old boys were white. So you, that should be your main focus. How do you break that old boys network? How do you break that process to get you that old boys network? You break the process by trying to get the best people possible in every role you can do. 
What do you have to say about David Tepper's comments after he leaves the podium very quickly introducing Frank Reich in that press conference? I mean, he sounded pretty defensive, but I'll give him credit for at least acknowledging it because some people, they try to dance around it like Chris Brown. You know what I'm saying? So he he at least acknowledged that that's in in, uh, effect as far as how people are thinking about things. So I give him credit for that. Yeah, there you go. David Tepper talking a little bit more. We are very much up against a break. We have one more segment before a final hour here on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you joining us and you can continue to text us via the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. If you look at the ACC college basketball schedule, we will get back to some more Frank Reich comments as well as some Panthers conversation as well. But the schedule uh, with this uh, basketball schedule, excuse me, when we're looking at Wake Forest and Duke tonight, I saw a stat, Wes, where Wake Forest has not won at Duke mm-hmm. since 1997. Yes. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the reason they won, you're talking about Tim Duncan. Right. Going off for like 25 and then all the other decorated categories in that box score as well. You don't have Tim Duncan on this team. We do not. But you have Tyree Appleby. You have Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Is it Monsanto or Santo? Monsanto. I'll go Monsanto. Okay. I do like that guy just pulling it from deep all That's the time. Your guy. Yeah, it is. So when you look at this Wake Forest team, what are the chances you give the Demon Deacons to get a win for the first time in what is close to 30 years at Cameron Indoor? Well, it's going to be tough. And I'll start out with a Eric Collins-like fact for you. I hope they don't wear the black uniforms tonight because in the Steve Forbes era, they are 11 and 23 when they wear the black uniform. <laughs> so uh, I hope that they, you know, come out and in a different type of uniform, hopefully wear the gray, they're two and two in the gray. <laughs> uh, but what they need to do tonight, first and foremost, is stop the three point line. Okay. We know Wake is one of the best three point shooting teams uh, in the nation. When you talk about the way they shoot the basketball, they're second in the ACC in three point field goal percentage and in three-point field goals made. But listen, when you give up 44% from three to UVA, 48% versus Pitt, 47% from uh, NC State from the three-point line, that's going to hurt you. And they also have to attack the rebounds. Uh, Duke is the best rebounding team in the ACC and one of the best in the country. They're fourth nationally in rebound margin, ninth in offensive rebounds, 13th in rebounds per game, and they've held 18 of 21 teams on their schedule below their season scoring average. They're 30th nationally in scoring defense, man. So Wake's going to have to bring it tonight, find a way to get buckets. Cam, Hildreth, everybody. Marsh is going to be all hands on deck tonight to try to get their first win against the Blue Devils since 1997. And we know what DJ Burns just did. And uh, Filipowski Philly, as I'm starting to call him, has been a monster over the last five games, averaging 22 
and 12. So who does it mean more for? Does it mean more for Duke to be able to get this win and not have something happen on their home court in close to 30 years? Or does it mean more for Wake Forest to avoid what would be a four-game losing streak at this point? I mean, they're right around each other in the standings. They are seventh and eighth. And as we talk about the road to the ACC tournament, I mean, it means more for Duke because we know Duke, the name on the front of that jersey, what it means, what it represents. As they said, they have not surrendered a loss at home yet this season. And as we said, they have not lost to the Demon Deacons since 1997 at home. So if the Deeks were able to go in there and get a victory, uh, I think I wouldn't say catastrophic for Duke, but that would be a very big loss uh, for them as far as uh, standings-wise as they have everybody's got tough games left on the schedule. So all of these games are critical down the stretch for everybody when you're in that top probably 10 in the ACC. You mentioned your boy Philly as you're mentioning him now, uh-huh. Kyle Filipowski. Yeah. We know that Matt Doherty compared him to a Christian Leitner. Mm-hmm. Him having that kind of skill set or at least bringing those types of comparisons out there, which is a big one, mm-hmm. to go to one of the best ACC players of all time. Filipowski, how much do you think he's going to hurt you? Is he obviously the guy that you got to keep in check in order to win this game? Yeah, I know he had to look at that table, DJ Burns, and just be salivating uh, over what he saw, especially the 23 points in the second half that he had and the way he just dominated in there. But the thing about Duke that's a little bit different is that NC State can really shoot the basketball, and so that creates the spacing for him down low to be able to operate. Duke does not shoot the three ball uh, that well. So hopefully they can pack it in, keep Filipowski out of the paint, make him shoot the basketball. And like I said, they're going to have to rebound tonight, man. Every time that ball goes up, look for somebody to hit and go to grab a board and get on that glass. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Feel free to text some of your thoughts and comments about not only the ACC basketball schedule. I do want to get back to the football schedule at some point, though, because I do know that Mac Brown's comments, his complaining, made Fitty angry. He was seething earlier today. He said that he wanted to have a whistle blown on him and go to the foul line, and then so he could go off on Mac Brown. And so we'll get to that. We'll talk a little bit more about the ACC schedule um, as it's released uh, for the upcoming football season, and talk about Mac Brown's comments. But just a couple more thoughts here on college basketball. And again, you can share your thoughts on the Garage Door Guru text line. See, I think when you see DJ Burns have such a big night against Wake Forest, that's that's the kind of uh, matchup that you're looking to exploit if you're Duke, talking about all the big guys that you have down low. I wonder if this is going to be a moment where some of your bigger players, your post players can start to get cooking a little bit more. And if you're Wake Forest and Steve Forbes here, Wes, I mean... I think there's quite a bit of pressure on him in this third year. And so if you lose four straight, what they have North, I just dropped a can because I'm (laughs) flipping my paper all around. But if you're, I think they have North Carolina up soon as well. Mm -hmm. So I have another tough ACC opponent. How bad do you think this thing could get? And if it gets too bad where, all right, so if you look at Wake Forest schedule, they will have lost three, possibly four. Then they lose to North Carolina here within the next couple of games. How much in danger are they of not making the NCAA tournament? And if that's true, if they don't make the big dance, what will that mean for Steve Forbes' future? Well, it's not going to mean much because Wake has proven that they will be very patient with a coach. But the fans are starting to get impatient. We know the track record of winning that he had when he came there. But, you know, the roster's had a lot of turnover since he's been there. He does hit the transfer portal hard. But uh, a lot of people, I think, the seat will maybe start to get warmed up. It's like when you're going in there to cook and you go cut the oven on and start preheating. 
I think the oven will start to preheat. I get up and go walk in the kitchen, put it on 350, and then go sit back down and watch a little bit of TV while I wait for it to get hot mm. enough to put my food in. I think that's I think that's where we're at with him. He's got four guys that average uh, double digits. Uh, he's got the requisite team to be able to go in there and get the job done. It's not like this is a phenomenal Duke basketball team. Like I said, they're seventh and eighth in the standings. So... This is a game that I'm sorry, no matter what, especially with what has happened lately, you've been coming up short in close basketball games. You blow a lead to NC State and lose a close game down the stretch. You play Virginia all the way to the end. You play Pitt all the way to the end. And so now is the time, man. Are you How fed up is this basketball team? Are they going to come in there focused, determined, ready to go? Um, because if they come in there and lose convincingly, then it, it, it to me it's starting to unravel. To me, this has to be at least a close loss, even though you don't want more victories. But Wake has the team that if they go in there and play poise and they can handle that Cameron indoor crowd, they can go in there and make history tonight and get their first win in 15 seasons. 7 o'clock tonight, going to be happening on ESPN. Then they face Notre Dame on the road. That's when the game against North Carolina comes about, February 7th, Georgia Tech. And then on the road against Miami, on the road against NC State right after that. It is is a tough part of the schedule for Wake Forest. We could talk about that more as the week goes on. Of course, North Carolina and Duke is going to be coming up this weekend. UNC with one more game in between then. They're going to be facing Pittsburgh, looking for the revenge factor there as well. We'll be getting you covered all on that with Duke North Carolina coverage at the end of the week. But we're going to go back to Frank Reich, his comments, and talk about James Campen staying aboard. Scott Fitterer talked about drafting a quarterback. Still a lot to get to here in Pantherland. We're going to talk about that next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.